With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the mini break, your date podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, September 2nd. Week one of the 2023 U.S. Open has officially come to a close as, of course, day six featured the final half of the third round of singles action on today's show. want to run you through all 16 of the singles results we saw produced on the day. Another steady day of play for the top seeds. We have just about all the big dogs heading into week two of this event. In fact, a stat to start today's podcast, 11 of the top 13 players in the WTA race to the year-end finals. They're still alive heading into the U.S. Open round of 16. You have 10 of the top 13 men in the race to the year-end finals still alive as well. We have the best of the best competing for the year's final major title. What does that mean for all of you tennis fans? It means an exciting week ahead for all of us in uh, to enjoy from New York, of course. With all of that said, quick reminder, if you're looking for previews of each day's action, you can find that over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Go like that podcast. Go subscribe to it. Leave a little review as well. My hope is that by the end of this U.S. Open We will have caught up on the Great Shot podcast feed in terms of total reviews left to this mini break podcast feed. It's lagging a little bit behind both this podcast and the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. So if you will allow me, mini break podcast listeners, to ask you, go subscribe to the Great Shot podcast. Go leave a five-star rating. Go leave a little review as well. It would be greatly appreciated as we continue our negotiations with all various different sponsors moving forward. Anyways, again... Preview content over on the Great Shot podcast feed here on this show. Of course, we will continue to recap every day of the 2023 U.S. Open. That, of course, means talking here on today's show about day number six. And look, as I forecasted on our Great Shot podcast preview show, I thought this was our best day of matches to date. You hope every day in a slam continues to trump the preceding 24 hours. But this one had a lot of gems, and certainly they produced magnificent tennis throughout the course of the day, whether it was the three-set battle between Keys Samsonova to start things off, the Zverev-Dimitrov first two sets in the nightcap that had all of us thinking play might go to, what, 2, 3 a.m., given the pace of those evening matches, not just Zverev-Dimitrov, but, of course, Jabir in another grind. She survives another three-set battle, this time against Marie Bozhkova. Really good day for the Americans, not just Pagula Keys earning three set victories, but how about Peyton Stearns, last player alive in the women's singles draw with college tennis ties, the 2022 NCAA singles champ through to her first second week at a major, further consolidating her top 50 spot in the live rankings. It was a really good day of tennis, and again, that's not even including the big dogs on the men's side, Alcaraz, Sinner, Medvedev, all advancing fairly comfortably. We did have our first upset of the round on the men's side, Matteo Arinaldi, another talented young Italian. He earns a breakthrough result, his first second week at a major, knocking off Cam Nori in straight sets. That was really your only funky Result on the day, everything else pretty straightforward, but again, plenty for us to discuss here on today's show. So as always, I plan on breaking everything down for you, two to five minutes on all 16 matches, short monologue at the end about where things stand heading into week number two, and then again, 
We will be ready to rock and roll into the home stretch of the year's final major. Of course, why can we break things down day in, day out throughout the course of this 2023 U.S. Open here on this show? Well, it's because of the support we get from all of you listeners and, of course, because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products at the best prices in the tennis world. Of course, use that promo code not only we let them know we sent you there. You'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-Point, symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. All right, let's talk day six of the 2023 U.S. Open. Let's start with a match I thought was going to be the best one of the day and certainly delivered results close to that. The three-set thriller between Madison Keys, Ludmilla Samsonova. Ultimately, it was Keys able to pull through 5-7-6-2-6-2. Madison Keys has played fantastic tennis all tournament long, whether it was in wins over Aronksa Rus, Yanina Vickmeyer in straight sets. Now, you know, the power tennis on display in that three-set battle between her and Samsonova. Madison Keys has brought the goods, and you look at it statistically, I mean, she was in form on top of everything, was broken once in this match. That was in the first set, you know, fights off the other three break points that she faces, makes 71% of her first serves in this match, winning 79% of her first serve points. And look, when Keys can make the first serve, play first strike, be on her front foot, She's always had Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club adjacent levels of power. That's why she's allowed to dine there and hang out on weekends. We know what Madison Keys is capable of. We've seen her now in double-digit amounts of second weeks at majors. But she is playing her best tennis this season. I have reiterated that all year long here on this show. The numbers indicate as much. She's one of the three players to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage. It's her, it's Goff, it's Sviantek overall on the season. You look for Madison Key, she's winning 72.1% of her matches. That is now 0.2% behind her 47-18 and 18 record in 2016. I mean, again... She wins the title in Eastbourne, part of the U.S. run to the title at the United Cup to start the year. Quarterfinals at Wimbledon where she was knocked out by Sabalenka, I believe, in Australia. It was a pretty good run for her. Third round loss to Vika in three sets. Obviously, the disappointing loss to Kayla Day at second round Roland Garros. But, you know, again, has righted the ship here in making the second week at the U.S. Open. And, you know, again, despite having just the Eastbourne title as her signature run on her resume, Madison Keys is in the race for the year-end final. She's one of those 11 of the top 13 still alive at this U.S. Open. Now has a really tricky match against Jessica Pagula coming up in round number four. But again, who is the more pedigreed player? We've seen Madison Keys make a final of a major in a way we haven't seen Jessica Pagula before. Obviously, Pete, uh, Pagula, very impressive in a three-set victory over Svitolina. We'll talk about in a little bit. But what makes Madison Key's victory particularly impressive over Samsonova is that she took the racket out of Samsonova's hands. And, you know, let's be clear. You look for Ludmilla Samsonova overall on the season. Samsonova right now on hard court specifically ranks 11th in hold percentage. I mentioned her record. She's 19 and 8, now 19 and 9 overall on the year on hard courts compared to her 8 and 8 record on other surfaces. She's, you know, now 5 and 6, I suppose, against top 20 opponents on hard courts, but that's where the majority of her top 20 success has come. She made the finals in Canada. She made the semifinals in DC. Obviously, we know the sort of hard court uh, the level of hardcore tennis she's capable of playing, and she brought it in set number one. Again, relentless behind her own first serve and relentless in her first strike had Madison Keys pushed on Keys's back foot and, you know, again, did a steady enough job of absorbing the first blow of Keys. I did think Samsonova was the better mover in set number one. That just she created more opportunities for herself than Keys was able to, and she was able to keep pace with Keys uh, from a first serve and plus one perspective. That just wasn't the case in sets number two and three. You look in set number two, Samsonova only able to make forty five percent of her first serves. Madison Keys 
all over the Samsonova service games in that set. You know, she resorted to rolling in that first serve a little bit more frequently in set number three, and that just gave Madison Keys time to tee things up on her return of serve. And, you know, again, for Keys, 31 winners against 25 unforced errors, and she only had four aces on the day. Indicative of how, if again, you see the match, she was blitzing everything on the baseline, moving extraordinarily well, confident pinching forward when the opportunity presented itself. Madison Keys has played at a really high level through week number one of this event and is absolutely playing well enough to beat Jessica Pagula come round number uh, come round number four in their matchup on Monday. And, you know, again, she's 13th in the points race. 0.2% off her career-high win percentage. One of three players throwing top 15 in both hold and break percentage this year and into a second week of the major for the second consecutive major, having made the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. Madison Keys is playing good ball down the season's home stretch. Uh, very nice win for the 28-year-old American. And again, her opponent next round, it's only going to get tougher as she's taken on Jessica Pagula. Pagula, I thought, you know, obviously facing her first test of the event, Pagula, prior to her three-set win over, uh, excuse me, Svitolina yesterday, had earned straight-set victories over uh, Georgie, over Patricia Teague to get to round number three. Not exactly the toughest uh, slate of matches, I suppose, thus far. And Svitolina was a serious step up, but guess what? Pagula matched the level of physicality that was necessary. She is clearly the second best returner in the world. And I'm not willing to see the top spot yet from Sviantec because she's flirted with a 50% break percentage now for 19 consecutive months. I just can't emphasize enough mathematically how unseen that is before in at least modern WTA tennis history. But Pagula, just her ability to take advantage, you know, again, any second serve that floated in the box. Jessica Pagula was on top of. And I know Svitolina won 53% of her second serve points. But, you know, again, you have to keep in mind, you know, set number two, she wins seven of 10. Set number one, she goes, I think, six of 12. Uh, Excuse me, set number three, she was six of 12. Set number one, she was seven of 16. Obviously, those are the two sets Pagula wins in what was ultimately a 6-4-4-6-6-2 victory. It was the pace, the depth of that return serve. It just sapped the legs out of Alina Svitolina, who, let's be clear, played a very physical three-set match against Pavlochenkova in round number two. And to get to three sets and to hit her forehand as aggressively as she did in particular in set number two, Svitolina didn't play a bad match. But again, the the aggression, the depth, the success Jessica Pagula has behind her return of service special. And it's a line drive. It really is. It, it stays so low on you. It gets by you so quickly. If you get a racket on it, you pop it up. And whether Pagula has moved forward and takes that ball out of the air as a volley or lets it drop and you know rips the next forehand or backhand by you, Pagula sustains her aggression so well. She moves. People don't talk enough about how good Jessica Pagula is as a mover. She is sneaky quick in and out of the corners. She gets her racket on it, her ability to drive her slice. It's coming back service line or deeper if she gets her hands on it. She matched Svitolina's physicality. She had the bigger weapons from the ground. It was very much as expected. You know, again, I just think Pagula is better at all the things right now than Alina Svitolina, even if there are similar ways. It's not the same ball that they hit, but they go about attacking their opponents in identifiably similar ways. Still, Jessica Pagula was the better player. She advances in three sets to set up again what is a really fun matchup between her and Madison Keys, a matchup, of course, we will preview on Sunday's Great Shot Podcast preview show, talking all things day seven, uh, excuse me, all things day eight. Sometimes you get those days jungled. Really good win for Jessica Pagula. Of course, guarantees an American quarterfinalist, which means an American quarterfinalist is guaranteed in both the men's and women's draw with Shelton playing Tommy Paul, Pagula playing Madison Keys. I think it could be a really fun championship week, uh, final week number two for American tennis fans in New York in particular, because 
I think Francis should advance to the quarterfinals. I think he will play the winner of Tommy Shelton. I expect Tommy to advance in that match, but even if he doesn't, if it's Shelton Tiafo, that's such a fun match for the crowd. You expect Fritz to get through Stricker. You know, three American quarterfinalists, uh, an American semifinalist guaranteed, and that's just the men's side where, again, you imagine Pagula, Keys, the winner of that, probably the favorite in the quarterfinal. If Goff somehow gets through Sviantec, now the prospect of an American winning the U.S. Open uh, singles title becomes that much more realistic. I hope you'll all indulge me this tangent as I talk about the two opening American winners, Jessica, Key, uh, Jessica Pagula, Madison Keys. Two of three winners for the American women in what was otherwise an undefeated day. I suppose I'll move her up uh, a little bit higher than I had her in the outline just to wrap up this storyline. American men go 4-0 yesterday. Fritz, Paul, Tiafo, Shelton. American women go 3-0 today in Keys, Pagula. And how about Peyton freaking Stearns? Didn't just win. Straight set win to reach her first Second week at a major, a four and three victory for her ultimately over Katie Bolter to advance to round number four. And I mean, look, Stearns, dare I say, has been pretty darn dominant through these first three rounds of the U.S. Open. Straight set wins over Tomova, Tossin, Bolter. Now, again, she hasn't faced a seed. She hasn't faced a top 35 player so far at this event. Ideal draw, no doubt about that, but I can't emphasize this enough. Peyton Stearns, 58-21. and 21. She's played 79 matches in the last 52 weeks. She's 42-17 now overall on the season. She started her year second week of January playing a 25K in Naples, plays a 60K in Florida the next week, then goes and plays a 25K, which she wins in Orlando, then plays a 60K in Rome when she wins. Four ITF events in her first four weeks of the season. Didn't go to Australia, no. Was playing ITF-level events in Florida, by the way, was playing Emma Navarro in a couple of those events, as well as Kayla Day, who have all gone into the top 100 now this season. So shout out to the ITF level. It is the breeding grounds for the players you see now. Peyton Stern started her season at the ITF level in Florida. She's now in the second week in New York. 42-17. and 17. That, of course, features her first ever tour level and final in Bogota. Now it features her first ever tour level round of 16 at a major. With this result, she jumps into the live rankings, top 50, up to number 44, a new career high. You look for Stearns in terms of the points race this season. She's sitting at 47 overall on the year. She's 18 months removed from college. She played NCAAs in May of 2022. Or by the way, she was the NCAA singles champion and helped Texas earn back-to-back national championships on the women's side. Exceptional. Exceptional from Peyton Stearns. Her serve, and in particular, her forehand, they just belong in the conversation. Whatever that conversation is, maybe it's time to start wondering, do we send her an invite to come hang out at Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club? Because again, her forehand was the biggest weapon on the court in this matchup against Katie Bolter. You look at the stats from this match, Stern's 20 winners against just 20 unforced errors, won 68% of her first serve points, uh, fought off four of the five break points that she faced and converted three of the 12 she created for herself. Very steady in holding on to her break lead in set number two. And, you know, had break points to go up a double break 5-2, Bolter then uh, excuse me, to go up a double break and I think clinch the match 6-2. Bolter grinds out the hold for 3-5. Things got a little dicey in Peyton Stern's 5-3 service game in that second set. Manages to close things out. 15 winners against just three unforced errors in set number two. The forehand inside out winner on match point sort of epitomizing the way her forehand was just able to open up space for her and you know, ultimately overwhelm Katie Bolter. And on hard courts, the physicality she brings, the way she competes, you never ask, is Peyton Stearns given 110% on this point? The answer is always yes. It's very evident, even with the eye test. I mean, look, she's a dear friend of the show, so we're biased towards Peyton Stern's success. She's been so kind to give us her time over the years here at Cracked Rackets. Obviously, we've gotten to know her a little bit. Very cool to see this success, but it's well-deserved. She plays top 50 tennis, and, you know, again, to see her in the final 16 at a hard-court event, given the way the draw shook out for her 
I think she protected her seed more than any uh, protected her spot. I think she was the favorite in all three of the matches that she played this week. And ultimately, she gets through all three of them in straight sets. Now, things step up a little bit as she's taken on Wimbledon champion Marketa Vondrosova, who has also not dropped the set. Wins last night, what, one and two or two, one and I think it was one and two. And I think she broke Alexandrova in her first six service games. You know, the Wimbledon champ has been a top 10 player all year long as well. It's a big step up for Stearns. She's going to get to swing freely. She's confident. She's fit. As well-rested as you can be heading into a week two, given she hasn't played a three-set match. And, you know, again, four American men, Fritz, Tiafo, Paul, Shelton, four American women, Goff, Keys, Pagula, Stearns, all through to the round of 16. 25% of the draw, Two All-American matches, ensuring there's a quarterfinalist. That's about all you can ask for, given where American tennis is right now in the broader ecosystem. And, you know, again, they've delivered the goods in singles at this 2023 U.S. Open. Anyways, Keys, Pagula, Stearns, the three first winners I talk about. Let's move over to the men's side now. The best tennis I saw on the day was the first two sets between Zverev and Dimitrov. I mean, if you're going to go rewatch anything— from the day, and you really want to grind in and say, no, I want to watch it from start to finish. The first two sets are two and a half hours. So, you know, again, you're going to use up your tennis quota when there's some really good day seven matches you should probably be tuned into. But, oh, I mean, oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. was this? It was just the physicality on display. It's everything modern tennis has turned into that fact that you have to hit seven winners before the first winner is actually productive, uh, before the first winner is, uh, you actually hit a winner more broadly, is what I'm trying to say. And just, you know, again, you knew Dimitrov was going to chip that backhand into the backhand corner, chip that backhand into the backhand corner. When was Zverev going to be bold enough to go down the line and try and stretch Dimitrov and force him to hit an on-the-run forehand cross-court pass? And every time he did, in set number one, Grigor was ready for the on-the-run forehand, and he put it with pinpoint accuracy, cross-court, either depth or short angle as a straight-up winner. And in a match that was, you know, 6-7, 7-6, 6-1, for Zverev, you know, Dimitrov still ends the match 45 winners against 40 unforced errors. Now, he hit 12 winners against 22 unforced errors. Again, 12 winners against 22 unforced errors in sets three and four. That means in set, you know, again, he had 33 winners against 18 unforced errors in the first two sets, and he lost the second set, 7-6 to Zverev, who, by the way, again, 15 aces, 70% of his first serves go in, 43 winners against 27 unforced errors, only one double fault, you know, goes up an early break in set number one, gives that break right back to Dimitrov. You feel like, oh no, we've seen Zverev go away in these positions. Same sort of thing happens in set number two. Look, Dimitrov played a perfect first set breaker. Maybe that's what you go back and watch. Just go watch the first set breaker, the second set breaker, because from there then, you know, again, Dimitrov just wasn't able to sustain what was, again, a breathtaking level in sets one and two. And just quickly as a final note on this, Zverev into another round of 16. By the way, he is very much in the thick of that tour uh, finals race. He's currently sitting in eighth place, 20 points ahead of Taylor Fritz as they both head into the round of 16. Zverev back up to number 10 in the live rankings, by the way. So again, in in what are we in September now? In seven months of tour level play, works himself from back from outside the top 40 back into the top 10 where undoubtedly his level belongs. I had him as my number five contender entering this event. He's going to take on the number three player on my list in Yannick Sinner in the round of 16. Probably the best matchup we have on the board in either the men's or women's draw because Zverev's playing that well again. He's moving that well again. And the thing that always amazes me about an Alex Zverev match, regardless of who his opponent is, except for maybe Alcaraz, you're playing on Zverev's terms. Like, every Alex Zverev match looks like an Alex Zverev match. He's going to get physical. He's going to 
dare I say, push and extend rallies, 10, 15 total shots. He's going to get into that backhand. He's going to shank a few forehands wide, but he'll turn on it down the line and he'll use his speed and use the weight of his serve, the weight of his shots to sneak in behind. He's gotten so much better as a volleyer, so much more comfortable knifing away the first volley when it's left high, particularly on that forehand wing. He's always had a solid overhead. You're just always playing on Zverev's terms. And look, again, because he gets tentative, because those matches get physical, sometimes that means the match is on the other player's racket. This match was just a, a backyard brawl. This was two players playing near or at their best in those first two sets. And then again, Zverev manages to take that second set, you know, fights off a set point by moving forward and you know, ultimately, again, sets three, sets four, was st- his legs were fresh. He was able to, again, extend rallies and then start to turn into things down the line. Got a little harder for Dim- Dimitrov to hit that on the sprint forehand cross court. Started yanking it a little wide. Zverev pulls away from there. Those first two sets were the best two sets of tennis I've seen so far in New York. In the men's singles draw, Zverev through and four were, again, a date with Yannick Sinner now awaits. Sinner, by the way, four-set winner over Stan Wawrinka. Stan played well in set number two. I don't think Yannick played particularly great in this match. Now, I liked his game style. Made this match extraordinarily physical. Was willing to extend rallies. Was willing to... You know, again, especially in the first two sets, work Stan into the outer thirds. And even if it was with 75% pace, knowing that over time those patterns would win out. Now, ultimately, Sinner, 6-3, It's a sloppy match. 22 winners against 58 unforced errors for Stan. 33 winners against 61 unforced errors for Sinner. Now, he did crank out 12 aces, did win uh, 73% of his first serve points fought off nine of the 12 break points that he faced. I still don't think we've seen Yannick Sinner play his best tennis so far at this event. And, you know, again, Sinner's advanced pretty comfortably thus far. Wins over uh, Sinego, Hanfman in straight sets. Now the four set win over Stan. Obviously, things step up a little bit with Sphere of in round number four. And I do think physically he is ready for the test. I think he did a really good job of moving forward to take time away from Stan in this match. Sinner, uh, 21 of 26 at the net. Whenever Stan would leave that chip floating, Sinner did a great job of pinching forward. He'll have to do that to take advantage of Zverev's court positioning. Again, I, I need to... Zverev's just a different sort of matchup because ultimately it was the physicality of Sinner that wore Wawrinka down more than anything else. Not that the weight of shot doesn't ultimately play a factor in that physicality, but I'm looking forward for Zverev Sinner. I've cleared my Monday calendar. Highly recommend you do as well. Of course, speaking of clearing the calendar, Carlos Alcaraz is just must-watch tennis. And, you know, again, was I ever in doubt? Even after he dropped that third set, what was ultimately a 6-2-6-3-4-6-6-3 win over Dan Evans? No, the result was never in doubt. But to watch some, you know, again, some of the winners Alcaraz hits on the run, obviously the on the sprint forehand pass he hits in set number four, the exclamation point on things. But, you know, there were extended overheads. There were just, he just extends rallies again. He's a superhero. Anytime you think there's no way that's possible, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to make that possible. I'm going to slide into it. I'm going to somehow track down that extra ball, fire up the perfect skylob or keep it just low enough on you that you have to pop it up just enough that he's going to get to that next ball. I mean, again, he didn't, it, it was never in doubt because Dan Evans couldn't get a ball through this court. And if you can't get a ball through Alcaraz easily, he has time on his hands. He's just going to beat you. You know, again, Evans did a great job changing directions a little bit more aggressively. I thought he hit his slice with particular effect in set number three, but no, he connected really well on a return of serve. Ultimately, that's what it takes to get a break of Carlos Alcaraz these days. Wasn't able to do it really in any of the other sets. Alcaraz threw in four again, 61 winners, 23 unforced errors. Evans had 28 winners against 24 unforced errors. He played well. It was a good match. You still didn't feel like Alcaraz ever really had to flex his muscles even in a sleeveless shirt uh, because, again, he's Carlos freaking Alcaraz. He advances through to round number four. We're now a date with Matteo Arnaldi awaits. And, you know, again, credit to Arnaldi. Pulls off the only 
formal upset of the round. And for what it's worth, Keys over Samsonova was your only formal upset of the day on the women's side. Now you had uh, four seeds eliminated. Excuse me, you had six seeds eliminated overall on the women's side in round number three. Rabakina, Samsonova upset by lower seeds. Kirstea, Keys respectively. You had Alexandrova, Svitolina, Bozkova, Mertens all knocked out by higher seeds. You know, those aren't technically updates, but if you're following what round did the seeds get eliminated, you had four seeds uh, beaten but not upset. Two seeds formally upset by lower-ranked players this round. On the men's side, only one seed upset. Again, that was Cam Norrie uh, knocked out by the 28-year-old Matteo Arnaldi, who is into his first, second week at a major in his career. And you look at this result, what it does for Arnaldi, the 22-year-old Italian, excuse me. Now, I think I said 21-year-old earlier. The 22-year-old Italian up to 47 in the live rankings. It's Already been a fantastic year for him. Three different challenger finals, winning the title in all three, uh, all spread out at different points of the year. A lot of hardcore success for him this season, in particular at that challenger level. He qualifies at Wimbledon, you know, wins an opening round match at Roland Garros. Now into his first second week at the U.S. Open, still missing that first title, but you know did make a semifinal at the tour level in Umag, uh, in Umag beating Lechechka, losing in three sets to eventual champion Alexei Popperin in those semifinals. I don't mean this to be disrespectful. I'm not sure what Arnaldi is elite at yet. I know he's very good. Uh, not very good. I don't know what his weakness is. He's very solid everywhere. And look, with some... With all due respect, Cam Norrie didn't have it. You know, Norrie, 24 winners against 29 unforced errors. He just wasn't able to hit through Arnaldi at all in this match. And Arnaldi had 37 winners against 16 unforced errors. I don't know how indicative, you know, again, obviously it was a straight set win for Arnaldi. To some extent, he did dominate this match. But it, it, it was more about Cam Norrie than anything else. Norrie just wasn't, you know, again, the patterns weren't there. It felt like when he needed to go into brick wall mode, he'd get a little handsy. He'd reach on the backhand, float it a little wide, press it a little long. You know, Arnaldi was exceptional at his two passing shot combinations, dipping the first one low at Cam's feet, hitting the second one by him. And, you know, of those 37 winners, I would venture to say at least a third of them came on passing shots. Nori 15 of 29 when he came forward one of five on breakpoint chances as well. Arnaldi hits the serve well. It's not elite explosive. Again, he's good at everything. There's no discernible weakness. I'm not sure what the ceiling is yet, but certainly belongs in the top 100 discussion. Moves well. Just outdid Nori, who couldn't hurt him on this day, was the steadier of the two players. And, you know, again, what a massive opportunity for Arnaldi now heading into round uh, the fourth round into the top 50 of the live rankings for the first time in his career. Yes, he's going to have to take on Carlos Alcaraz. You know, maybe that's a, a matchup you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy, but it's going to be fun. Buckle the seatbelts. We'll see just how good Mateo Arnaldi is, I suppose, uh, come the end of Round number four. With that said, your other quick match I want to talk about from a top seed perspective. I was actually very impressed with Daniil Medvedev's opening two sets and what was ultimately a straight set, uh, I believe 6-2-6-2-7-6 victory over Sebastian Baez. Baez obviously did what he came to do on the North American hard court, which is gain some freaking confidence. And in winning the title in Winston-Salem, reaching the third round here at the U.S. Open, he's up to a new career high, 27 in the live rankings. It was a really good North American hard court stretch for Sebi Baez, one of the biggest winners, I would say, of the of the stretch. Medvedev still had seven double faults, but won 62% of his first serve points and four of those seven double faults came in set number three, where again, the outcome wasn't really in doubt. What was so impressive was just the depth of every ground stroke. Daniil Medvedev threw at Sebastian Baez, how disciplined he was in not just finding that backhand corner, but preventing Sebi Baez from running around that back in that backhand corner, hitting forehands loosely, which he does so effectively. And that gets back to why wasn't he able to do that? Because the depth of Daniil Medvedev's shot made it impossible for him to do so. Um, you know, again, a really impressive result for Daniil Medvedev. Third set got a little sloppy, but 
It was the physicality he brought, his ability to hit through these hard courts. He stepped up on his forehand, I thought, more assertively in this match. I thought this was the best Daniil Medvedev's look thus far. Again, a straight set win for Medvedev to advance to round number four, where a date with Alex Diebenauer now awaits. And we'll get into Diebenauer a little bit more a little bit later. But uh, again, those were the big men's matches I wanted to discuss. All the top seeds, Zverev, Sinner, Alcaraz, Medvedev in play. They all looked the part. Again, your big upset on the day. Arnaldi over Nori. Let's rapid fire through the other women's results, and then we'll finish up with our final men's results. You start with the top seeds on the women's side. I mean, look. Arena Sabalenka's been cruising. I feel like I've spent maybe four collective minutes talking about her through the first week of this event, and that's a credit to her. She's been dominant. Sabalenka, what, one in two winner, I believe, yesterday? One in one, excuse me. Sorry to disrespect her performance over Clara Burrell. They were playing different sports. It was the same thing with Jody Barrage in the, in the prior rounds. And, you know, again, in all of Sabalenka's matches, she's just been so assertively on her front foot. She's hitting the serve decisively as well. She and, and with success, you look for Sabalenka overall in this match. 63% first serve percentage when 73% of those points dropped just 12 points on serve in seven service games. You know, again, fought off the one break points that she faced. 22 winners against 20 unforced errors. Burrell, just six winners overall in the match. It felt like she was always hitting on the full stretch, never had her feet set under her. I can remember one of the forehand winners she ripped down the line. That's really the only winner of the six I remember because, again, Sabalenka just overwhelmed her. And, you know, Sabalenka unscathed in the opening three rounds. Now things step up as she's going to face the physicality of Daria Kasatkina. We've talked a lot about Kasatkina in the opening two rounds she's played because, obviously, she had two three-set wins over uh, Ken and Parks, respectively. So just quickly, I thought... Hreetman and played well, but just couldn't couldn't maintain the a consistent enough aggression to hit through Kasakina. And if you can't do that again, twenty one winners against fourteen unforced errors. Kasakina makes seventy seven percent of her first serve. She just doesn't give you anything for free. She finds the outer thirds, hits that high, heavy, loopy ball, and beats you to the spot because she's always going to extend the rally one extra shot. She was never in doubt in a straight set win over Friedman, and which is what she needed to just get a little rest heading into week number two. But I don't know how she's going to hurt Arena Sabalenka. I think Sabalenka is going to cruise into the quarterfinals with all sorts of momentum and confidence. And, you know, she'll face the winner of Chin Wen who, or, or Jabur, and we'll talk about both of them here in a moment. I mean, the past, you know, Jabur's played three three-set matches. Chin Wen, should she reach that quarterfinal? It would be her first quarterfinal at a major in her career. Things have opened up really well for Sabalenka to just have all sorts of rhythm, all sorts of confidence, and really be the most well-rested player heading into championship weekend. Because, you know, yes, Von Drusova has Stearns next, but she would face the winner of Keys Pagula. That's a really tough quarterfinal before having to face Sabalenka in the semis. And, you know, again, for Sviantek, the pathway is looking like Ostapenko, Goff, Muhova, Sabalenka in week number two. That is... That is a tough pathway to major number five for Iga. Sabalenka has, the, I would say, the most ideal pathway of anyone remaining in this round of 16. And, you know, again, yes, Kasakina, credit to her. That's a really well—you know, she grinds her way to the round of 16. It's going to keep her top 20 for sure as we head into 2024, which is where you want to be throughout the prime of your career, making some serious cash whenever you get to the second week of a major— the story is the dominance of Sabalenka. Again, we haven't talked about her because she's been that good thus far. It's the same thing we've said about Iga in the odd day recaps of this 2023 U.S. Open. We haven't really talked about her because she's won two of her matches 0-1. What is there to say? It was a 1-1 victory. It was dominant. Again, Sabalenka, Kasakina. Fun contrast of styles in the round of 16. As I mentioned, they that the winner of that matchup will face the winner of Jabur and Chin Wen, each of them three-set winners on the day. Look, we've talked a lot about Owens in the first week of this uh, of event. How could we not have? She's played three th- really fun matches. The straight set, five and six against Kami Osorio. Three sets, obviously, in round number two. Now, a three-set win for her. A come-from-behind, uh, what was it, 5-7, 7 uh, six, six, three win over Marie Bojkova. 
it was physical. And, you know, again, Bojkova, 31 unforced errors to Jabur's 63, but Jabur, 56 winners to Bojkova's 13. Jabur, again, only 48% of her first serves go in. She's clearly still dealing with some sort of physical issue, but starting to look a little bit healthier, starting to move a little bit better with every passing match. That said, you have to ask yourself after, again, the straight sets with Osorio, three sets with Naskova, now three sets with Boshkova. Yes, she's seen a little of every playing style, but how much gas does she have left in the tank going into week number two? I mean, so impressive given the adversity she's dealing with to get to week number two. And, you know, again, ultimately, Boshkova could not hurt Jabur. Smash was always on Anz's racket. The question was just, was she going to put enough balls in the court? Was she going to make any overheads, which got a little sloppy on her in that opening set. Was she going to be consistent enough in her with her aggression to advance through this match? The answer was ultimately yes. And again, you look for Ons, who's going to keep her top 10 spot. Very, very likely more, you know, it would be very, very difficult for someone for four different players to un- unseat, on, uh, five different players, excuse me, to unseat Ons and pass her in the top 10 of the live ranking. She's also sitting pretty comfortably right now. She's about 600 points ahead of Belinda Bencic, who's still alive in this event, but sitting at 10th place in the points race. So again, she makes the second week, puts herself in the aggressive position in the lead, at least entering the home stretch as we approach uh, another tour finals for her. And, you know, again, Really good win over Boshkova, given the circumstances. I do wonder how she's going to enjoy the pace of Chin Wen, the heaviness of that ball, if it does sap the final gas from her legs. And look, Chin Wen should have advanced in straight sets. She was up a set and a break, 6-3-4-3 in her match against the tricky Italian Lucia Bronzetti. But Bronzetti scrapped. I noticed more than anything, she attacked that Chin Wen forehand with depth because Chin Wen does have a big loopy backswing as she gets under that ball on the forehand wing. That said, when she connects on that forehand, again, it's such a dynamic shot. Her ability to drive through the backhand so impressive. And again, given the pace, the heaviness of the ball she hits, opponents are predisposed to being 6, 12 feet behind the baseline. So she mixes in the drop shot now. I think very starting to mix it in far more effectively, starting to execute on that shot far better, even if there are some errors you know, mixed in. I think it's the right sort of drop shot errors. You guys know I'm buying Chin Wen stock. I said before the tournament, I think she's going to make the quarterfinals. She's into the fourth round. You know, again, given she's facing a top eight seed to face this version of Ons, a player who's played eight sets in three matches, and you just have to wonder again, how much gas does she have left in the tank? Hard to imagine a more ideal matchup for the 20-year-old from China as she looks to make her first major quarterfinal. Talk about a fun contrast of styles. Again, the pace, the heaviness of that Chin Wen ball. Again, she is fit. She is fast. It's funny. You think about her weapons. She's top 10 in hold percentage. And yet, again, it's the underlying physicality that has Chin Wen as a tier one prospect in my list, something I'd like to think I've reiterated throughout the course of this year. Chin Wen threw in three. Shouldn't have been three, but again, gets her to round number four here in New York. And Again, in impressive fashion. Last but certainly not least, shout out to Marketa Vondrosova. I mentioned her earlier. There's not much to say. 2-1 and one over Alexandrova. She dominated the match. Dominated it. I mean, this match was an hour tops. She hit six unforced errors. She, you know, again, broke Alexandrova, I think, the first... I think it was the first six times Alexandrova served in the match. It was never in doubt... Pace, touch, feel, depth, you work it all in. Again, Vondrosova was dominant. She looks really good. Uh, she is, with reason, a heavy favorite over Peyton Stearns in the fourth round. But that Stearns serving forehand, it's a big enough weapon to keep this match close. That said, I do expect Vondrosova to cruise into the quarterfinals pretty comfortably. And, you know, again, I've said win healthy. The numbers said it all last year. 
The eye test certainly said it throughout the course of this year. She's a top 10 player when healthy. She just hasn't been healthy over the, you know, before really this season. And now that she is, she's putting together the best season of her career and a top 10 season unequivocally through to the fourth round of the U.S. Open. A fantastic way to back up her Wimbledon title run, obviously, in the prior major. Those were all of your women's results on the day. On the men's side, just to rapid fire through the final three, uh, few. I said at the start of the year it was a make-or-break season for Alex Niemenauer in my mind. I just – he had been status quo, 18 to 26 in the rankings for a three-year stretch. And look, I, I keep saying it. He's the oldest 24-year-old we have on tour. He's still only 24, though. He's put together a make sort of season. He's passed the test. You look for Demon Hour, he is tied with Tommy Paul for fourth in terms of most hard court victories on the ATP tour level this season. Trails just Medvedev, Fritz, Sinner, makes a final in Canada. He's sitting at a career high right now in the live rankings of number 11. He's currently sitting at 11 in the points race as well. Dropped a set in his opening match over Skatov, has not dropped the set since dominant in a victory over Nicolas Iari in straight sets. He's number two in break percentage right now on the ATP Tour on hard courts. Break and serve 32.2% of the time. That's better than Alcaraz, better than Sinner, better than Djokovic. Trails just Medvedev, who's at a ridiculous 34.4%. Again, you look for Demon this season on hard courts. He's now a a really, really impressive, what, uh, 20... Yeah, 26 and 10 overall on hard courts this season. Won a title in Mexico, obviously, earlier this year as well. He should be in the round of 16 at every hard court major with the degree of physicality that he brings. And look, a guy like Yari, who has the massive first serve, massive first forehand, dare I say the figurative biggest weapons on the court, in theory, that's a tough matchup for Demon Hour, but. Not when he's hitting the ball this cleanly. Again, he's kind of a little stronger without compromising any of his speed. The first serve and hold percentage have improved this year. Um, and you can see that visibly in matches that he plays. Again, he very quietly has worked his way into this round of 16 with a lot of comfort. We saw him beat Medvedev earlier this year. That's the rematch. It's him versus Medvedev in the round of 16. Obviously, again, that was a matchup. Medvedev lost in Canada, 7-6, 7-5. Buckle your seatbelts. That one has three hours plus written all over it. You know, again, a good result for Andre Rublev on the day. Drops the opening set to the big hitting former Texas A&M All-American Arthur Rinderkinesh. Rinderkinesh, though, ultimately unable to sustain that level of aggression, just overwhelmed by the pace of Rublev, who's through in a tight, uh, ultimately, 3-6-6-3-6-1-7-5 victory. Again, it's just another ho-hum season for Rublev. He's sixth in the points race. He's seventh in the live rankings. Very likely to reach another year-end finals. I know I've joked on this podcast before. His destiny is to go one and two at every tour finals for a seven-year prime in his career. But I do think he can make seven tour-level finals. And, you know, again, that's an elite list. I'll run those numbers as soon as this U.S. Open is done. But making three consecutive tour-level finals, let alone five, seven, ten, which, again, it really feels like Rublev could be in that conversation. Yes, you start to introduce guys like Runa, Alcaraz, Sinner into the mix. But Rublev's always right there in terms of match total consistency. He's always right up there with Zverev, Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Rudes of the world, the best of the rest. Rublev's just always in that mix on the fringes. And is as consistent year in, year out. Again, you know he's ending somewhere between 6 and 11 in the rankings. And usually 6 through 10, a solid round of 16. He has a very winnable match against Jack Draper. And shout out to the 21-year-old Draper, who I know we've talked about prior in this uh, this week. And obviously has earned an impressive victory in straight sets over Hoopy Hercots earlier in the week. Draper, a four-set win over Michael Moe. It's a really good week for Moe, by the way, who now really does assert himself in the top 179 in the live rankings. You look for Draper, who obviously had been dealing with injuries. He's back up to number 105, 18 spots up as a result of this event. 
Draper has the he he could match Mo's physicality. He was more confident hitting the forehand, moving forward behind it, assertively putting away the ball at the net. That said, when Mo takes the third set, then goes up an early break in set four, you thought, oh my God, is Mo about to win a, set, a match from two sets to love behind again? He's certainly a, a high enough caliber athlete to do it. Again, credit to the gumption of Jack Draper serving things out, moving forward consistently. It's a fun matchup between he and Rublev. You know, again, that's it's a tough one for Andre and Rublev. Maybe the toughest matchup he's had in this tournament to date. That's a very winnable match for Jack Draper. That said, Rublev's going to find himself in another quarterfinal. He's going to take on a Demon Hour or a Medvedev. And, you know, again, that's just where Andre Rublev belongs. Always holding seed at these majors. Continues to do so. You know, all of that in mind, yes, that's your day six, but now we do turn the page towards week number two of this event. So just a couple of statistical notes uh, before we wrap today's podcast. You look at the tennis abstract singles forecast right now, uh, where things stand heading into week number two, your top five favorites on the women's side, Iga. 33.4% chance of winning the event, according to the numbers. Sabalenka next, 14-4. Goff, 11-3. Pagula, 10-5. Vondrusova was in the lead, uh, or excuse me, is in the lead, 7.6. But Karolina Muhova is not very far behind her. So again, Vondrusova, 7.6%. She's your fifth most likely favorite. And honestly, that feels about right, given she's the favorite in her section. On the men's side... Djokovic, 43.9. Alcaraz, 27.3. Then there's a big drop. Medvedev, 11.2. Sinner, 6.3. But obviously, it's because he's in the Alcaraz section. After that, they're like, I don't know. Maybe Taylor Fritz at 3.6%. So, you know, again, Zverev would have to go through Sinner, Alcaraz, and probably Djokovic. He's at 0.5%. Rublev's at 2.2. Tommy, 2.5. Shelton, Rinky, Stricker, Goyo. And Arnaldi and Draper all 0% chance. Ouch. Singles forecast. They, uh, the forecast has written them off. But again, 11 of the top 13 women in the points race still alive in this event. 10 of the top 10 men in the points race still alive in this event. You have, you know, Alcaraz, Shelton, Stricker, all three of the top seven players in the next gen race. I know Alcaraz shouldn't count in that, but he does at 20 years old. Three of the top seven, you know, into week number two of this event on the women's side. You look at the players under 22 years old, Goff, Chinwen, Wang Xinyu, Peyton Stearns, four of the top five, 21 and younger women all through to round two of this event. Do we know who the best players are? I continue to ask that question throughout the course of this week. Do we finally have stability at the top of the men's and women's game? Things shaking out throughout the course of this season as we make this generational shift post-Serena, post-Big Three eras. I know Djokovic is still in the mix. Believe me, I haven't written him off. But everything beyond Djokovic. You know, now on the women's side, we know it's Iga. Who's with her? Right now, we know Sabalenka's right with her. Pagula, Goff, right on the fringe. And Jabur has to belong on that next level. But in that conversation of, you know, they're going to be quarterfinals further at the major events. There's finally clarity. After, again, two and a half years of being like, I don't know, like uh, Djokovic and then someone on the women's side. We kind of know, you know, again, Djokovic is going to have to go through probably Alcaraz, if not Medvedev, Sinner. After that, you don't really know on the women's side. Iga, Sabalenka, Goff, Pagula, and they all continue to have success in this event as well. That's where things stand after day number six. That's where things stand heading into week number two of this year's final major, the 2023 U.S. Open. Of course, if you're looking for preview podcasts, again, they're available over on the Great Shot podcast feed. A shout out as always. To our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out to him. Shout out as well to our dear friends at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15 for all of the latest and greatest products in the tennis world. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here. At both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say? That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.